James 1.20 says, there's nothing about man's anger that brings about God's righteousness. So it's counterintuitive because we've all grown up with this idea that humans have righteous anger and unrighteous anger, and we should keep the good stuff, stay angry about that, and then get rid of the bad stuff that's not righteous. Well, that's not, that's actually not biblical. Uh, it's counterintuitive. It's shocking, but it's actually one of the most freeing things. And then you begin to understand what forgiveness really looks like what the Jesus style of living really looks like, and it forces you into discipleship. And it's actually a beautiful thing. It makes your life feel better. Somewhat anxious, always authentic. This is Real Life Loading. I'm your host, Shelby Abbott. And our desire with this podcast is to help guide you toward the life-changing power of Jesus for relationships in a constantly shifting culture. We're called Real Life Loading dot, dot, dot. And those three dots at the end of our title describe being in process. We haven't arrived. We're very much in a state of loading. And even though this is a podcast and we don't really know each other, I want to come alongside you as a friend and help you walk closely with God in the humor and hardship of life. Well, I'm not going to lie. This episode might be one of the most provocative ones you've ever heard on Real Life Loading. I'm talking today with Brant Hansen, an author, radio host, and podcaster who's won multiple Personality of the Year awards for his show. He's also written a book called Unoffendable that dives into the topic of forgiveness, which is something not a lot of us are good at doing. We're going to talk about why Brant loves burnt toast, what life is like for him on the autism spectrum, and then we'll dialogue about the subjects of anger and forgiveness. I was really challenged by my conversation with Brant, and I think it'll really help you understand a new posture you can take when it comes to bitterness and anger. So let's get into it. One of the questions that I like to ask people when I do a, a get to know you game or something like that is, is what is your favorite smell? It's love hate with this smell because it's too good. And that is the smell of burning toast, like wheat bread or sourdough or something. Burning toast. Really? Why? I love it so much. I don't know, but I never get tired of it. And I had a real problem with toast. I had to go like totally cold turkey. <laughs> Because I was eating, I'm not, I'm not lying about this. <laughs> I was eating a loaf of burnt toast every morning by 9 a.m. Really? This was as an adult and not that long ago. Uh, that can't be healthy. Well, I thought it was because at the time, maybe it was that long ago, it was like cut back on the fat. There was this era when nobody talked about carbs. It was all like get rid of fat. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I thought it's zero, zero fat. It's oat brand bread from Aldi. You know, I'm not spending that much. <laughs> but I wouldn't put butter on it. I just like burnt toast, but I like it so much. I can't not just have like 16 pieces. Like somebody who eats one, I'm like, how do you do that? That's fascinating to me. I've never heard that before. <laughs> yeah, it's a real thing. And, and to this day, like I could plow into a loaf, easily eat a loaf of burnt toast dry right this second. Would you supplement it with coffee in the mornings? Oh yeah, I'd have coffee too. I mean, I'd have the coffee just so I could have a personality. <laughs> right, um, right. But the toast thing was just pure passion, man. And to this day, I can't even get started on it. That's funny. Wow. I've heard some strange answers over, over the years. <laughs> that might be in the top two of strangest answers. A buddy of mine said his, his favorite smell was 
cigarette smoke. And I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about, man? And it had to do with nostalgia, like reminding him of something as a kid. But burnt toast, that's a new one for me. So very good. I guess if you thought it was burning initially, that it was taking out some of the unhealthy aspects of no. carbs or no? No, no, you're assigning way too much intelligence <laughs> to what I was thinking. I just think it tastes great. And to this day, I like burn stuff. And you know what's weird though? And I'm sure we'll talk about this later on. And that's me being diagnosed on the autism spectrum is like a lot of people I meet who are on the spectrum have that sort of thing where we can eat the same thing over and over and over and we just want the texture. We like crunch or something. Okay. And a lot of... A lot of Aspies, a lot of people with Asperger's or high-functioning autism, a surprising proportion are really into like dry toast and crackers and stuff. I did not know that at all. It's brand new information to me. I kind of feel more wise now that you've said that. Good. So thanks for uh, imparting your wisdom to me. <laughs> okay, so speaking of wisdom, I want to know, what's the best piece of spiritual advice you've ever been given? The last couple of years, I've really grown up in some ways, thanks to Dallas Willard, mm. former USC professor of uh, philosophy, but he's all about what Jesus is actually looking for from us and that we actually can be like him. Mm -hmm. We can actually do the stuff he told us to do. He's like, we tend to skip over this stuff. It's like praying for your enemies, loving people who frustrate you. Um, this is what Jesus told us is actually the best way to live. It's the lighter way to live. Mm -hmm. It's a better way to live. So that's been extremely helpful, reconceiving Jesus, not just as a savior, but as somebody who's, who knows how to live, period. Yeah, and gives us the power to do so. So yeah. So you mentioned this earlier. Uh, you know, you have Asperger's, which is a mild form of autism. Um, how has that impacted your personal relationship with friends and family or even new people that you meet on a day-to-day -day basis, like people maybe you interview on the show? Well, it used to be I was not adept at all socially. And in fact, I never dated anybody in high school or anything until finally I was pals with this young woman in college. She thought I was funny. <laughs> And I didn't even know, I did not know how to interact. It really is a social issue. And um, like making eye contact, stuff like that's very difficult. Making small talk is extraordinarily difficult. Not being too blunt, too fast yeah. is difficult. But I was blunt with her and we were pals for a long time. And I just turned to her. We were studying in college, University of Illinois. And I just stopped looking at the book and I turned towards her and she's still reading or something. I was like, uh, I love you. <laughs> and there was no hint of anything romantic up to that point. Wow. And so she, her response was classic. It was like, uh, thanks. <laughs> and, but she did like me. And so we've been married. Okay, good. Years. The story ended yeah. well then. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I, I guess God's grace a gift to me. So I've had one girlfriend my entire life right, going yeah. all the way. But it's like, it was hard. It, yeah. I would learn from my brother how to interact from people. The diagnosis, though, came in my 30s, which was so helpful. And it's helped me to realize, okay, if I'm going to love people, even if I don't understand their ways and they don't make logical sense to me, I need to meet them on their cultural grounds. That means doing the small talk and making eye contact. Even if it doesn't make sense to me, why do I have to do this or that? Like, okay, well, that's what I would ask if I was in a different culture. Yeah. 
to love people, I would have to go, okay, this is what they do. And so it's impacted a lot. But it, ultimately, I think it's been a real blessing to me because it gives me a different way of seeing things. Brant, what, what do you mean when you say that we shouldn't trust our anger? Can you unpack that a little bit for me? Absolutely. So people are like, I should be angry. I have righteous anger. Everybody thinks that. Right. And if you could put everybody on a lie detector test, everybody thinks their anger is righteous. Nobody's like, my anger is totally off base, but I'm keeping it. Like, forgiveness necessarily means dropping your anger. You cannot hold on to anger against somebody and say you've forgiven them. Mm-hmm. And you don't forgive them. That's what I'm trying to get across to people because they deserve it because they don't. It's not because they apologize or that they seem really sorry or maybe they're not. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to. No, no. You forgive them because you didn't deserve forgiveness. Yeah. I mean, this is the basis of the gospel. But people think we have this thing called righteous anger for humans. You can't trust your own anger because you're a sinner. But Jesus or God's anger, he's not a sinner. So he's entitled to things like that. Same thing with vengeance. That's his not ours. Why? He's not a sinner. Mm-hmm. Our posture is supposed to be let go of anger before the sun goes down. Anger can happen, and it's like a dashboard warning light, but we're supposed to get rid of it now, or it will kill us and destroy our relationships. So you have to forgive as you've been forgiven. This is it. I'm coming at it from somebody who's a Jesus follower standpoint. Yeah. It shouldn't seem radical to hear you say that, but it definitely does like it definitely it totally does because uh, you even talked about this one time you said what well, people will throw out the verse uh, in your anger do not sin so then they'll make the assumption well anger is still you know a viable part of what you should be doing as a christian how would you respond to that well it's so interesting in your anger do not sin i've heard this a thousand times from people yep i bet I'm like do you know the rest of the verse nobody does the rest of the verse says and be sure to get rid of your anger before the sun goes down Yep. Why didn't you memorize that? It's because if you have defined your anger as righteous, that makes no sense. Why would you need to get rid of it? And then five verses later, same paragraph, get rid of all anger. I mean, this is over and over in scripture. Well, but my anger, you know, we have to bring about God's righteousness with our anger. Like James 1.20 says, there's nothing about man's anger that brings about God's righteousness. Full stop. Nobody memorizes that verse. So it's counterintuitive because we've all grown up with this idea that humans have righteous anger and unrighteous anger, and we should keep the good stuff, stay angry about that, and then get rid of the bad stuff that's not righteous. Well, that's not, that's actually not biblical. Uh, It's counterintuitive, it's shocking, but it's actually one of the most freeing things. And then you begin to understand what forgiveness really looks like, what the Jesus style of living really looks like, and it forces you into discipleship. And it's actually a beautiful thing. It makes your life go better. Yeah. Also, If you think forgiveness is hard, try living a life of unforgiveness. Mm. So it will ruin your relationships. There'll be things that can come up unless you deal with it, the stuff you've gone through, the injustice, the trauma, stuff like that. But if you don't want to forgive somebody, that's totally understandable. I understand the human instincts. But if you don't, that person gets to occupy a space in your head where you are staying in that relationship forever. Like Mm -hmm. in the physiological consequences of anger, it'll kill you. It's responsible for weight gain, skin changes, insulin, you know, issues, anomalies, uh, cortisol, adrenaline, heart issues. Anger kills you. 
Wow. And all you have to do is study the, the physiological effects of it to see once again that Jesus is genius when he's telling us to get rid of it, like that we're not entitled to it. He starts the Sermon on the Mount right after the Beatitudes talking about getting rid of anger. Yeah. Would you say that that anger often, the way it manifests itself in us, is at the root of it is just our own pride? Would you say it's that maybe? I, I think it's a big part of it because uh, honestly, the visceral reaction, as much as we'd like to say that we're all so rational and so driven by principle, all of us, all of us, uh, is threat. We feel threatened at some level. But imagine I start growing up and I realize it's not all about me. Mm -hmm. And then I don't need everybody's approval quite so much. And then my ego is less inflamed. Well, when something's less inflamed, it doesn't hurt all the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to become less threatenable. Like, if I honestly believe, like, well, somebody could kill me. Yeah, but I already gave my life away. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't have that much to lose in life. It's all his. I don't have to worry. It's tied up with that anxiety and worry thing. Like, if I actually believe that the world is ultimately, because of who Jesus is, is ultimately a safe place for me to be, I'm operating from a really strong standpoint, and people can't threaten me anymore. Mm -hmm. And then you respond differently because you're not threatened all the time. So I do think over time, as you become less prideful, you become less offendable. Like even in the moment, as you practice this, somebody cuts you off on the interstate, you're not like, oh, I can't stand. No, because you're always so thankful for what God's done for you that you're like, you move on. It's like, those are humans. I know that. I'm going to forgive them in the moment. Mm -hmm. It's a discipline. But as that happens, people start to like you more. <laughs> yeah. It's I didn't anticipate that. Like, I enjoy my neighbors more and they're actually drawn to me instead of repulsed by me. Yeah. Because if I'm, I'm Mr. People shouldn't be doing this and that. Right. That's not fun. But if I'm like, you can't scandalize me. I love you no matter what. Well, now they can lay out everything and they still see that I'm still there and I see something beautiful in them and I like them. Mm -hmm. I like these people. I mean, that's a 180 for me. Totally. Yeah. But I think that's God changing my personality because I'm trying to follow him. So there's fruit that comes from that. It's things like love and joy and peace, which people are dying to be around now. Now it's time for what I call a Shelby sidebar on real life floating. This will be a short story, illustration, or thought that simply helps you process gospel truth. So about a year and a half ago, my in-laws moved, and when they bought their new house, it came with a pool. Well, the Abbott family was very excited about the fact that we now had access to a pool. The pool was a unique kind of situation because it had not only chlorine in it, but it also had salt water in it, which I didn't know you could mix those two things. So one of the first times we went over to swim in the pool over the summer, we brought our dog with us. My dog's name is Pippa. She's a Cavapoo, a, a Cavalier, and a miniature poodle mix. And so my kids were running around the pool. We were swimming in it, and I noticed that my dog would constantly go to the edge of the pool and drink water from the pool. Now, I felt this was a bad choice on the part of my dog, so I would constantly try to stop her from drinking water from this salt water and chlorine pool. And one time that uh, I caught her drinking in the pool, I decided to pick her up and move her inside because she kept going back to it over and over. 
and over again. And when I pulled her one time from the pool, she ended up nipping at me because I tried to stop her from drinking from it. And I thought to myself, very interesting that I'm trying to protect my dog, care for my dog, try to prevent her from doing something that would harm herself, and she didn't know it. In fact, she didn't know it enough to try to bite me in the process of protecting her. You know, as I thought about it, if I'm honest, I'm just like my dog Pippa. I think most of us are. We get spiritually thirsty and often go to places that are at the least not good for us or at the worst might spiritually destroy us. But God puts loving avenues of his grace in our lives that help pull us away from the saltwater pools that'll only make us thirstier if we drink from them. We might just bite at the hand when it's trying to help us, but know that when we're being pulled away from the water that won't satisfy, it's a good thing. It's not a bad one. You know, I hope you and I would be humble enough to recognize when we're actually being rescued today. This has been a Shelby sidebar on Real Life Floating. Now back to my time with Brant Hansen. We're going to talk more about anger and forgiveness, but Brant and I will also share about how we both forgave our fathers. Let's get back into it. Okay, so I'm a practical person. Uh, what would you say are some like practical steps a young person can take as they're processing becoming a person who is unoffendable? Okay, well, you start with this and you end with this, honestly. You have to be thankful that God has forgiven you. Mm-hmm. And you have to be thankful at the beginning of the day. Breathe that in. Because mm-hmm. that's the way that you have the resources to forgive other people. I've told people this who aren't necessarily believers. Like, ultimately, I don't know where the resource is for this. But Jesus told a story about a guy who had been forgiven much, and then he wouldn't turn around and forgive somebody else. Yep. That's about us if we don't forgive other people because we've been forgiven much. So imagine... Imagine you did something worthy of the death penalty and you knew it and you're never going to see your family again. And then suddenly the judge says, you can go. Somebody else took your punishment. You can go home. And then you're on the freeway on the way home. You can't believe what just happened. And somebody cuts you off. Are you going to be like flipping them off, screaming? Or you're going to be like, who cares? I can forgive that person. Look what I got. Like, that's your mentality. You practice this at the beginning of the day, like decide that's who you're going to be. You will be a different person. And this is called, again, discipleship. So that's the most practical thing I can possibly imagine. And I would view those people who are doing stuff to you from minor things like cutting you off to hurting you in other ways, like this is where the whole Jesus thing actually matters. Like the whole, you can talk Christian stuff your entire life. This is where the whole thing actually matters. It's in forgiving as you've been forgiven. So you've got a chance to do it. Just got to make a choice. Yeah. So honestly, that's rubber meets road. And it's a, it is the most practical thing. That's great to hear because people go, oh, give me like the five steps that I need to do every day or give me the, the new way of implementing stuff into my life. That's a super practical, super reality. Nobody's going to like look at that and go, I can't do that because we've done that at some point in time. And so I, I wanted to tell you uh, recently, this has happened for me because Whenever the Bible would talk about an enemy in scripture, not like the enemy, like Satan, but like your enemies, I would always think about my biological father. So my father was basically um, in my life and cared about me until he didn't. And he's basically been absent since I was about 15 or so. And 
the idea of forgiving him was always something that was like, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. He's hurt me too much. He's neglected me too much. Uh, I invited him to my wedding. He said he'd be there. He didn't show up with no with no excuses. Mm. Um, he just hasn't been present at all in my life. But then I uh, I went to his mom's funeral, and he was about five drinks in at the reception afterward, came down and sat at my table and was like, why can't we just get past all this stuff? Why can't you just forgive me? And I got so angry there in that moment that I was like, if you want to talk about this, we can do it when you're sober. And so it didn't, that conversation didn't go well, but I remember getting home. I was listening to a Tim Keller sermon on forgiveness. And when I got home, I told my wife basically, hey, um, I need to talk to you about something. Once we get the kids to bed, by the time an hour or two goes by, I'm not going to want to talk about it anymore. So just keep me accountable for talking about it with you. And she was like, uh, okay, what's this about? And I was like, it's about my father. She was like, all right. So we get the kids to bed and she goes, tell me about what's going on with your father. And I was like, I don't want to talk about it. She was like, you told me that we have to talk about it. So we did. And I was like, I think I need to forgive my father. And uh, so we talked about it for a while. It's been years since that conversation, but finally in March, I was able to start to craft a letter of forgiveness to my father. And um, I wrote it. I screened it through a couple of my friends who helped me to unpack the gospel in it. Basically talk about the exact thing that you were just talking about. I have been forgiven much. Mm -hmm. Therefore, uh, I forgive you. And uh, asking him for forgiveness in areas where I had judged him in the past. And so I had a couple of guys keep me accountable for actually sending this letter. And uh, I read it to them. And then I put my iPad in the middle of the room when we were all around. And I clicked send. And we all like celebrated. We're like, yeah, did high fives. And then we went and got lunch together. But uh, I just realized that forgiving him at one point in time in my life was an obedience issue between me and God, very similar to what you're talking about. Uh, have you seen specifically the element of forgiveness become a building block for thriving in your life? And if so, how? Yeah, I think the anger thing, if you hold on to anger, and I do think that's the essence of the forgiveness. And it's not that you have to, like some people will be like, well, do I have to now be pals with my dad or do I have to? Right, yep. You don't. And it, some people go through abusive relationships and it's like, so I have to stay in the house with this abuser? Like, no, no, that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness, you can step out of that relationship. But again, but if you don't, if you don't let go of anger, you're still in relationship with them in a toxic way. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very freeing. And one thing I love about your story too is that it's done in this context of community where where it's not just you, I know that's healthy. And it's coming from a place of, I have to, not because he deserves it, because he didn't, he doesn't. Yeah. Like you did this without him coming on his hands and knees. I'm so sorry. That may never happen. Mm -hmm. For most people, it will, it will never happen. That's a real heartfelt apology is rare. Mm -hmm. So are you just going to carry this the rest of your life or not? And I love your story. I actually, once again, I forgot the actual original question because it's so interesting the story was. So yeah, yeah, about I'm that. sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, no, a lot no, of no, you, dude. This. Yeah, the element of forgiveness, I've just found it to be such this, um, 
a building block for thriving in my life. Yeah. So, yeah, I had someone ask me, like, why are you doing this now? And I was like, it's just an obedience issue between me and God. And once I actually did it, once I actually, I mean, I feel like I forgave him as I wrote the letter. But when I actually sent it, I sent that letter, there's this weight that came off of me. And I feel like I've been thriving ever since. And again, this was just recently for me. So this is not something, yeah, I did this a long time ago and I've been a good Christian ever since. It's very fresh for me. And um, I'm a little bit sad and, if I'm honest, ashamed about the fact that I carried it for so long. But I know I'm not now. And so I can live in the grace of that. I've just found that as a person who has forgiven someone in my life who I did not want to forgive for so long, it's been a source of thriving for me in multiple ways, not just spiritually, of course, spiritually, but other ways as well. So how has that been a source of thriving for you specifically? I've had to forgive my dad. And if I hadn't, or I was living with anger against him, there'd be a lot of people that would be like, yeah, man, right. Right. They would say that's justifiable. Absolutely justifiable. You can't say what he did was right. Good grief for years of stuff. Like, <laughs> But instead, I don't have that to deal with, that issue. It doesn't control me. I'm not reacting to it anymore. And that's what a lot of us, we go through some trauma. Sometimes it's religious trauma. You grow up, but it's like, now I'm just going to react to Christians from now on. I'm going to react to churches from now on. Like, okay, but where's the beauty of life? And don't you want to live a life at peace? Mm-hmm. So again, gets back to, this is all just about the genius of Jesus. Like he's giving us a way to live that's better mm-hmm. and it's lighter. His way is easier. This is what he's talking about. It's like team up with me, practice my way, and I will actually ha- let you have a better life. Thriving is a great way to put it. It's not like health and wealth gospel. It's just wisdom from Jesus himself that said, my truth will set you free and I'm the way and the truth and the life. This is a better life. Yeah, and it's right there for us on the pages of scripture on a silver platter. It's offered to us. Yes, and it, it's not a side issue either. People are be like, well, yeah, Christianity, that's like, you know, I need to tell people about God, read the Bible, have some prayer time, go on a missions trip, forgive people, do some money, you know, tithe. Like, no, 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 no. This forgiveness thing is everything in light of what God has done for us. This is it. We are, we have a ministry of reconciliation. It says like, this is it. And if you want to live a countercultural life, this is it because people on both sides of political stuff or all sides will be like, what? Yeah. Yeah. You're actually at Pete. You're not, you're supposed to be mad. Like we are, we're mad. Watch our channel, get mad, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, I can recognize that there's injustice in the world. I'm doing what I can with my money and resources and life on that score. But no, I'm not going to live my life like that. I get one shot and I'm going to be a source of life for people and not hamstrung by this outrage that you think is so good for you. Yeah. Wow. Bro. I mean, again, this is stuff that I'm like, if only I would have heard this and adopted it as a genuine part of my life when I was in my early twenties, if I would have done that, what would my life look like hmm. differently. I I would have lived in peace so much more. I wouldn't have been scared of so many different things. I wouldn't have been allowed anger to control everything that I did in relationship to my father, certainly, but other people as well. I went to counseling 
because I was experiencing road rage. Like I was literally the type of person who was like, I'm angry at everybody on the road. And my wife was like, you should go see a counselor about this. And I found out it wasn't about road rage at all. It was about other things in my life. Yeah. And I wish I would have known all that stuff earlier. So this is gold. Thanks. Brant, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you, Shelby. I appreciate your story, too. It's really encouraging to me. It was so amazing talking with Brant because I walked away super convicted about the fact that in many ways, I hold on to my anger against other people. And sometimes I really like holding grudges. So much to process and take to God in the midst of both my successes and failures in life. I really hope it challenged you too. If this episode with Brant Hansen was helpful for you, I'd love for you to share today's podcast with a friend. And wherever you get your podcasts, it can really advance what we're doing with Real Life Loading if you'd rate and review us. And it's radically easy to find us on our social channels. Just search for Real Life Loading or look for our links in the show notes. I want to thank everyone who's on the Real Life Loading team. Josh, Bruce, Caitlin, and Jarrett. I'm Shelby Abbott. I'll see you back next time on Real Life Loading. Real Life Loading is a production of Family Life, a crew ministry. Helping you pursue the relationships that matter most. Real Life Loading.